Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Kernels. I hope you've been good since the uh, two weeks since we last spoke. Our guest on the podcast today is Jason Blum, who's a Hollywood producer, who, I mean, this is hyperbole, but it's kind of like the Robin Hood a little bit of the of the indie world, in that he tends to finance cheap-to-make horror films, you know, found footage, paranormal activity, that kind of stuff, that have these huge profit margins, which then gives him, you know, the money to be able to put behind films like Whiplash um, and get that stuff made. So, uh Hopefully, it'll be an interesting insight into kind of the workings of of Hollywood micro budgets and indies. But first, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a 2015 film that I've been meaning to watch for months, um, just kind of got lost, but I finally managed to get around to this week called Victoria, some German thriller. And it's uh, you might have heard of it. It's it's a single shot film. It's over two hours long, and the entire thing is one take, literally from second one till the credits roll. Just one camera, one cameraman, which is brave, risky, and a technical nightmare. I mean, often with those kind of films, if you do if you do have a really long single take, it will tend to be in one in one place. So you had like Birdman, for instance, which actually wasn't um, a single take. I love Birdman, but what what they did, you know, they would have the camera pan up to the sky, and then they could cut there and then blend it in with another one that begins. So you had the feeling of a continuous take but without having to worry about nailing the whole film in one go. Whereas this, they literally did do it completely. And yeah, that usually means a single location, like in Birdman, which is set in a theatre. But this goes all around. So it's set in Berlin and starts off in a club. It moves on to a cafe. You know, without spoiling it, later we go up to rooftops, all around the streets, in the back of cars. It's crazy when you think about it, and you think about all the crew that have got to move with it, you know, the camera operator, the assistant directors, the sound guy, you know, people looking out for lighting, people to, you know, assistant directors who are then organising and giving routines to all the extras who have to be just so. And it's it's initially hard to, I don't know, if you're a film fan, it's hard to kind of watch in a way without constantly thinking about what's going on on the production side of things but it's very interesting because of that and it really works that's what really struck me is like I always I've been intrigued to watch it for a while but I thought that you know it might have been did they, did they need this to be a single take film or were they just you know thinking that's a nice gimmick that you know will get press coverage which it did and might get us into film festivals but it actually makes a lot of sense because it's set in one night in Berlin a kind of crazy night you do really get a real sense that you're there having the camera you know there's very rarely any wide shots because that would involve the cameraman having to back off loads and then come back in close again which would be odd so the camera for the most part is you know mid shots or close-ups so you really get to know the characters very quickly because you're constantly with them and following them around um 
and it, the vibe's not so much like voyeurism, it's more like you're there with them. Um, and because, you know, it, it's a little bit rough around the edges, the camera's intentionally jerky, but you can, you are, you're aware that there's a camera operator there behind it, which makes you, behind the lens, feel like you are a character with them. And the film's kind of genre, it's an interesting piece, because it starts out, you don't really know what genre it is, it's just a girl in a club partying, starts talking to some guys outside, you're not sure, like, they seem like they're kind of friendly but don't have a best interest necessarily at heart and you're a little bit worried for her and then it kind of mellows out a little bit for a while and it seems like it's going into a, a drama there's this quite nice almost almost romantic scene and then again without giving too much away the tension ratchets up and it becomes absolutely nail-biting by the end and it was even shot right at the end of the night so that the sun would come up during the film so you literally start in complete darkness and end in total light which is quite cool to see it's like literally waking up and going through the morning on no sleep with these people and another thing that really struck me about it you know beyond all the fact that you've got a walkie-talkie ahead to people who are in the next location to tell them that the characters are about to move up to where they are and the fact that the actors have to presumably ad-lib a lot because you know things are going to change on the route it's not going to be as meticulously script supervised as a, a film that has cuts in it would so what amazed me was that not in, in addition to all of that the film takes most of its risks in right at the end so it's a bit like kind of setting up some dominoes and then putting this really elaborate kind of tricky bit where one of them is likely to fall down without knocking the rest in kind of the last the end of the run and that's what kind of what the film does so it's amazing i think they did it in three takes um so it's it's a admirable and ultimately very successful, I think, experiment. So if you get a chance to check it out, do. All right, now we'll um, catch up with my colleague Jacob, who has been chatting to Jason Blum. So Jacob, you chatted to uh, Jason Blum this week, who, for listeners who might not know, is a is a producer, but kind of like a, more like a specialist producer, I guess. Yeah, he's a funny one. He's kind of carved an, uh, a niche in horror, because I think he the first horror he did was Paranormal Activity, and it was hugely profitable. And I think he saw... An opportunity, and he's done lots of films like Insidious, Sinister, The Purge, uh, and their sequels. Um, but he also does, like, if you look through his list of credits, he does um, uh, smaller independent films as well, like Whiplash. He did Whiplash, yeah, and others, which is interesting. So he sort of almost does like does one to beget the other. Yeah, the the, uh, the markup on not the markup the the profit on those films is insane, isn't it? Like, I think insane. the budget for Paranormal Activity is. 15 grand and it went on to make just under 200 million it's one of like the, the, the highest grossing in relation to budget it's, yeah I think it's one of the, it's the most biggest profitable, profitable like kind of movie you can make a found footage horror. yeah and I think he so yeah I asked I kind of asked him about that which uh, everyone will get to hear and he, he had a view on it right uh, yeah, yeah which is quite interesting but I um, he obviously now he this year he had huge unprecedented success with Get Out which just took on a life of his own mm. um, the Daniel Kaluuya film um, I think it's like the, uh, the highest grossing uh, debut uh, for an original screenplay yeah. uh, for Jordan Pill, which uh, I think before that it was Blair Witch Project which was, was pretty impressive <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think if he's, if he's pushing that you know in the horror genre he's definitely become a name now that will always be associated with it yeah he is very well known isn't he among Hollywood for for what he does yeah I guess with Get Out because it, it seems like his thing is you know to do a lot of horror films and then that enables him to like sneak in a whiplash which 
even though it was such a talked-about film, isn't still isn't that profitable. It didn't make a crazy amount of money, no. but it, but it's a nice thing to do because it's good that that got made completely. Um, and I guess Get Out is almost like a good marriage of the two because it's it's a horror film that will, will nail that audience, but it's also a bit more. It it's trying to achieve more than like a Insidious Chapter Three is yeah. or something. Isn't it's so it? much. It's so much more than just another film about a ghost or a demon or something. Yeah. that is going to spawn an unnecessary sequel. Yeah, but I, uh, it's what is quite interesting is I um, I noticed that he uh, he hasn't ever um, remade anything. He's touched a few old um, horror classics, but not huge ones. So I think he's doing an, another amateurable film, and he did another one called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Uh, but he kind of subverted that by making that film exist within the original within the film. Like yeah. The original film existed within this film, uh, but he's actually doing another Halloween one, and he's actually doing it with John Carpenter. Oh. Who we spoke about quite a lot. So yeah, I think yeah. that's obviously a huge inf- influence, and uh, it's going to be quite exciting to see what he does there. Yeah, it's interesting that he doesn't try and do sequels because you think if you're in if you're in the business of making like a buck on horrors, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd push everything. You so. may as well. But he's, it's interesting that he's like trying to forge out new ones. He had he had a good um, good answer. I, I kind of asked him about sequels and his view on them and whether they were as fun on, or whether he could be as creative. And he he kind of broke down his. Um, the, ra- the ratio of what he of what he does between TV and films and within the film sector of of um, percentage of sequels to original properties and it's, it's just quite funny speaking to a producer about that because he's obviously got it in his head all the time of what he wants to do and uh, it's a numbers game I guess yeah ultimately it's a numbers game yeah uh, you and me like spend most of our time interviewing I guess a 50-50 split of actors and directors yeah really, don't we yeah but not often really producers did nice. you, I mean, it's hard to get it from one person, but it was a different kind of, different vibe, do you think, or? He was, I mean, I, I don't know what I expected, but he wasn't, I kind of expected someone smaller, maybe with a cigar, hanging out the window. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, he, he was, he just, I think that producers, I mean, I think Jason Blum uh, had an air of confidence that maybe a director wouldn't have. Yeah. Because um, they have to be, don't they? A producer yeah. has to be the confident guy who can say this this is worth putting this many millions of dollars behind kind of thing. And, you know, he, he says he says yes or he says no. And yeah. then people, studio-wide, listen to that. And uh, if it's a success or not, it's kind of down on him. I, he's a very intelligent man, I could tell. He's passionate about film. And I, I kind of like the films that he does. Even even the horror films that would be thrown away in other people's hands. I think he kind of makes them watchable and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, like, I, I don't find myself watching a lot of horrors, but then the ones, the ones I have seen often do tend to come from Blumhouse, like The Purge and yeah, yeah. And I feel like when you see that weird logo, that creepy girl at the beginning, yeah, you kind you of know, think I'm in safe hands now. Yeah, yeah. You know you're gonna get some a quality like schlocky horror. Like, yeah, if that definitely, makes sense. definitely. Yeah. All right, well, looking forward to hearing it. And then, nice who, who, uh, who you got coming up interviews-wise? You're doing out, out doing some today, right? Yeah, I did uh, Jessica Chastain, the very lovely Jessica Chastain. And Which was for... That was for Miss Sloan, uh, right. the John Madden film. And it's... Uh, yeah, when it's I heard good. that name, I assumed it was like the American football commentator. I was like, <laughs> that is a, a daring role. It's a daring role for Chastain, yeah. <laughs> she's just, just, yeah, she's expanding her ouvert. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, man, that, that was good. And uh, Kevin Bacon, who seemed very depressed about the fact that he was more famous for being Kevin Bacon than 
than his and his acting abilities. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Really, I don't even. What does it mean to be Kevin Bacon? I don't know what that Kevin Baconness is. I think it was a mixture of the Six Degrees of Separation game, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, and the E adverts. I brought up the E oh, adverts. Oh man, I had to bring up the E <laughs> adverts, man. Yeah, I had to. It seemed remiss of me not to. <laughs> but no, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. All right, well, uh, thanks for contributing to the podcast, as always. Mate, my pleasure. Oh, and I forgot to mention, our uh, mic gave out towards the end, end of the interview, so if you're wondering why this, the quality suddenly <laughs> dramatically drops, it's because the last bit was caught on the fly on iPhone. All right, enjoy. Ah. You can make a horror film about that, I tell that you. That would be a good, yeah. that would be a good scary movie. <laughs> that would be a good scary movie. Well, man, it's good to meet you. Um... I'm currently, I'm actually currently, I was happy to get the email that you're in town. I'm currently reading um, the Robert Evans memoir, The Kid Stays in the Picture. Yes. And I'm thinking, I'm actually considering quitting journalism, upping sticks and becoming a producer. I'm like, oh, very good. I, mean, yeah, I, I encourage it. It's, it's incredible. Huh. So that, that leads me to my first question, which is, what, um, what led you to this profession? Why do you do what you do? Uh, well, a lot of things led me to the profession, but I think one of the big things is I grew up around art. My dad was an art dealer. My mom was a professor of art history, so I was always, um, you know, exposed to art at a very young age. I think one of the things about contemporary art when I was young, which is, you know, in the 70s and 80s, was that it was very, very elitist. Mm-hmm. It's much less elitist now than it was when, in that time, but then the contemporary art world was very small, and so I was... I was I was always fixated on trying to do art for a much bigger group of people. Why that is, I don't know, but but that's what kind of led me to to movies at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're obviously first and foremost you're known for horror projects. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was it that led you to that genre initially? The scary movies. Yeah, yeah. Blumhouse is a nice like genre thriller, horror, all mm. those things. Um, uh, so I was an independent producer. I, I worked for the Weinstein's. I worked for Miramax for, for about five years, from 95 to 2000. And then I quit, started my own company, made six movies. Um, there were more people in the crew of those six movies than saw the films. So it was very frustrating. So uh, then I, I, I happened into, you know, I saw Paranormal Activity and... and from another story, if it's another question or another interview, got involved in the movie. And what Paranormal Activity did was it combined 15 years of my experience. It combined independent, I would spent about, of that 15 years, about half my time in independent film and half my time in studio film. And Paranormal Activity was kind of the ultimate independent movie made totally off the, totally outside the system. But it was distrib- it couldn't have had a more traditional distributor in Paramount. Right. And, and, so I loved that feeling of making films independently that studios would release. And that initially, um, and it's you know, branched out, we've done a lot more things since then, but initially you know, I wanted to stick with what Paranormal Activity was, which was a scary movie, and mm-hmm. see if we could duplicate that independent production and studio distribution model with other movies sure and that's what that's what I I love when I look through your list of credits you know amongst all these horror, horror films you know Sinister Insidious uh, The Purge you get a film like Whiplash that stands out yeah, and you, right. you think and it's almost like to me it kind of it's, it's, I mean it's a really poorly fleshed out analogy but it's almost like Robin Hood where you're, you're making the big bucks these horror films <laughs> and then you're giving to the smaller passion projects right, right? right and is, right. That, is that also something that you've always wanted to do 
Yeah, I don't look at it like that um, because I really don't. I don't. It's that that would imply that I like I'm doing the other movies for for to support the other movies, and I'm really not. Like mm-hmm. I really love. I don't really believe in high low art. I don't think James DeMonaco is any less or more talented than Damien Chazelle. I mm-hmm. really don't. Um, um, no matter what kind of movie you choose to make, to make a good movie is extremely hard. Whether it's a scary movie or an art movie. Um, I also think Whiplash kind of, I'd like to say it, it's like the Blumhouse version of a, of a Sundance movie, right? Mm. It's kind of, a, there, there are dark elements mm. in Whiplash. He's terrifying, um, isn't he? Um, he's uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons is a scary terrifying. guy. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, so really what I more like to say, you know, our filter is we really, we, we make, it's always low budget. We always do low budget movies. And we do low budget movies so we can try new and different things and, you know, Whiplash would fall into that category. Get Out, Split, The Purge, you know, mm-hmm. most of the things that we've done are are feel different. And that's more how I would define how, how Whiplash fell into fell into the Blumhouse family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, talking of Get Out, I think, you know, the success, uh, everyone knows what a success it's been. And it's just breaking records around the world. And Jordan Peele has obviously got now a new lease of of life in a career that nobody could have seen coming do you think Get Out kind of has sparked this uh, interest in horror films based on social fears as opposed to the paranormal as opposed right, to ghosts right. and demons yeah well I think two things I think first of all I think there's a long tradition of that I mean there would even before but John Carpenter really mm-hmm. you know put a spotlight on you know making genre movies that, that, that highlighted social issues I think The Purge laid the groundwork more recently for Get Out and that The Purge is really about gun control in the United States or gun control gone crazy. Yeah. It's more of a cautionary tale as is, as, <laughs> as is Get Out. And I think that, 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 that it laid the groundwork for those. I think a separate question you're saying is like, are we see, seeing us, I think in the early 2000s with Saw, it was, it was, there was a torture porn thing which, yeah. which I think kind of paranormal activity sort of ended. And I think paranormal activity was the the first paranormal activity was the beginning of this long run of supernatural scary movies, and it may be I don't know for sure, but I feel like with the Purge and Get Out and Split that the pendulum may be swinging towards more grounded scary thrillers as opposed to supernatural sure. scary thrillers. Yeah. And I think that's great. That's a great. Yeah, thing. I think it's cool. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I have no feeling of. I like supernatural movies. You mm-hmm. know, I like. I like. I like the grounded movies too. So I don't. I don't know. I'm not trying to put. And I'm not looking for those versus anything else. Like I don't like. I don't like to chase the market. I like to you know make good things. Whatever the. I don't really. I don't like to think about the market. But, but. Uh, but uh, but that may be a trend that's happening. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. And it's, I was reading in twenty in twenty fifteen. You tweeted um, about you wanted to make a film about Donald Trump and Jordan Peele responded to that and then, you know, you, That's you, right. you collaborate. And I mean, now, do you reckon there's people us are absolutely frothing at the mouth to write a film about Donald Trump? I think that the Trump administration, I was saying this before, is kind of seeping into, it's just starting to seep into the material that we're looking at mm-hmm. now. You know, it's not directly like, you know, you know, uh, 
you know, some some uh, nutball dictator uh, in the in the scripts. But uh, it, but the spirit of the administration is starting to seep into the material that I'm looking. Art takes time, but it's just starting to happen, which is very interesting. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I think the Trump administration. I think we'll see much better art as a result. I'd much rather have less good art and a better president, but I'll take the latter uh, as a booby prize. We take we take what we're given. Yeah, take yeah. what we're given. Yeah. Um, what's your what is your your views as like you know your personal views on sequels? Is is that a, a, a studio thing? Do sequels kind of have to happen if the film make, makes money? And do you go into those projects as excited as you would making an original film? I love sequels because they exercise. I feel like uh, my business I separate into about fifty percent of my time is in TV, fifty percent of my time is in movies. Mm. Of the movies. It's 50% in originals, 50% in sequels. It's about 25-25 of my overall time. And sequels, all the rules I kind of make for myself, which I break all the time, but I kind of, the framework that I have for myself in originals, totally off the table with sequels. We get more money, mm-hmm. right? Instead of $5 million, it's more like $10 million. Right. Still, by Hollywood standards, low. But for us, enormous. So we have more to play with. Um, and with sequels, you... I think, I believe that art is better with parameters around the creators. And so on originals, the parameters are largely financial. On sequels, the parameters are, you have to make a movie that feels enough like the previous installment that people feel like, oh, I understand why that's a sequel, but not too much like the previous installment where they feel like, oh, why did I see this? It's just like the other movie, right? And I think that's a fun puzzle to try and put together. So I think that movies have an end. I've always said, you know, I think we made one too many paranormal activity movies. I wish we didn't make the last movie. I just, it just, I feel like it put a bad taste in people's mouth about mm-hmm. the franchise. So I regret making the last paranormal activity movie. We should have ended on the, on the fifth one. Um, so I think that they come to an end. But um, but I do like making them, and I do like the challenge of subverting expectations. Most of our sequels, you'll notice, we always include the the person from the original movie, and that for for scary movies is very rare. Mm. Um, usually, you have you have a big hit with a scary movie. You fire the writer or director the first one. You hire new people because it's cheaper, and usually the results aren't very good. Blair Witch Two. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we don't do that. I give away more of the profit of the movie um, in, a, in, a, in hopes of getting a better movie by using the original person. So James DeMonaco did the Purge movie. Scott Derrickson was on it. James Wan on, on Insidious. Um, and I like the exercise that, that, uh, that you have to go through to make, to make sequels. So what I was, was going to say is I really like having both. I really like being able to do go from one to the other. If we just made sequels, I'd jump out a window and if we just made originals I would too like I really like being able to do both sure and in terms of what, what, I, what I find interesting as well is you've um, touched a few um, old properties old old uh, horror films or franchises in the past the one that springs to mind is The Town That Dreaded Sundown yeah. we kind of subverted that yeah. by making that film exist within the film it was great yeah. um, and uh, recently like it was announced that um you, there, there's going to be a continuation of Halloween, which is obviously kind of the daddy of all horror That's films. That's right. But so, but I, I am trusting as a long-time Halloween fan that there's a reason why, why you're doing this, right? Yeah, right. So what, what is that reason? Well, a lot of it is like the, your, the expression on your face, like people are like, ah, you're going to screw it up. So I like that, not <laughs> me personally, but just should there, if another Halloween movie, it's like, oh God. So I do like 
subverting expectations. You know, I do like the challenge of trying to make people be like, wow, I really didn't believe that you could make a good Halloween movie today and that they did. I really think we have the right people to do it. I really believe in David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. Like Jordan Peele, they are not from the genre world, but I don't think that matters. I think if you're talented, you can make a great genre movie. If you made a great comedy, you could make a great horror movie. Uh-huh. I'd much rather have someone who made a great comedy make a great horror movie than someone who made an okay horror movie make another <laughs> horror movie. Yeah. But Hollywood doesn't think that way. Um, and uh, and uh, and it is the mother of all horror movies, like right? So of course I wanted to do it. Part of the thing that I said is I would never do it without John Carpenter's blessings, which we got. So John Carpenter's executive producing, but uh, I'm excited I'm gonna get the script of that movie any minute. So it comes out a year in a year and a half, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we won't disappoint people. Yeah, it's the dream, isn't it? It's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> and what's, what is the formula for you to go, I'm, I'm producing this film, this is a film I'm producing? Um, well, what I look for is, is, does it feel new? You know, even with Halloween, like, we're not going to make it unless the script really, unless it's additive, unless it doesn't feel like we're retreading and it doesn't feel too far afield, that first sequel. But, I mean, really, what we, the first and foremost on the originals that we look for is, does it feel new, does it feel different? Split, certainly, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a movie like that. Uh, get Out, I really haven't seen a movie like that, right? So that's what we look at. It has to be, obviously, good. Yeah. That's as obvious. But in addition to being good, it can't feel like a movie we've seen before. And not all of our movies, obviously not all of our movies are past that test. Sometimes they feel much more different in the reading of them and the way the director's talking about it. And they come out and it's like, oh, shit, you know, it doesn't come out like we hoped. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them do. And that's our litmus test to decide what we want to do. Yeah, sure. And are there any films that you that you've looked back and you think, oh, we could have done a better job with that. Maybe we'll try it again in the future. Could have done a better job? Yeah. So many movies. I mean, really? I mean, every movie I see, I always see our mistakes that we made. Yeah. yeah of course, of course, of course, of course. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And what obstacles do you face in Hollywood as a producer? The biggest obstacle I face, I still face it today, is you think we've, you know, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot of success, and it's certainly easier than it was, but I'm still surprised that um, there's a lot of resistance still to our model, to, you know, it's... Negotiations. It's, it's it's it's. You would think people would be more inclined to jump in than they are. That's the that's the really? that's the kind of funny obstacle that I that I still find. Yeah. And why do you find that they're not? Because the system is built. Because you know our our business model is built on the notion of no one getting paid up front, and and if the movies work, then everyone makes more money than they would have if they had gotten paid up front. But you have to be able. You have to be willing to you know, take risks and bet on yourself and not everyone's willing to do that and, and for representation, especially, you know, if you're worried about losing your client and you suggest to them they do this and then you're in a movie where it doesn't work and they don't get paid, you're worried about getting fired or worried about getting blamed. So I understand it, but I wish I wish uh, I wish there was less resistance to it. Hmm. And it's funny because I just assume that with a with a film as successful as Get Out, for example, and you know, your name being touted as the master of horror mm-hmm. and, and things like that, that it would be just a no-brainer for... I know, you would think so. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> maybe I need to re-question this upping sticks you and maybe... To... To, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you mentioned Split before um, and obviously last week uh, Glass was announced, the, yeah. the sequel to yeah. Unbreakable and Split. Yeah. Uh, and I really love that uh, M. Night Shyamalan has had a, uh, a resurgence after a string of box office failures. Yeah. Um, how... Um, how... Do you reckon that can be attributed to a producer, kind of a, a director's success? Well, 
Uh, a movie success is is what a movie success. You learn this when you've done this a long time. Is not is not is not because of any one person. I mean, really? I mean, I mean, it takes a great marketing mind. It takes a great director. It takes the world has to the environment in the world. You know, you can't. You know, it takes. You know, you could have everything could go right, and there could be a blizzard opening weekend, and you're fucked. Yeah. So it takes. It's like a perfect storm for a success. So I, I think. I think, and also obviously, success is many fathers. But I don't. I think Knight was the most. The person most responsible for Knight's turnaround is Knight. He mm-hmm. looked at the thing. He stepped back. He said. You know, I pitched him on making a low-budget movie together. He actually, we didn't do the visit together. We did it. He brought it to us after he had made it. I pitched him on the, why to do a movie for low budget. I think he took it in. He said, all right, I'll do it myself on the low budget. And then I watched it, and then we, we kind of found, I found a home for it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, but I think, I think, I think, you know, he's a very, he's a very introspective guy. He has a very good take on things and I think I really give him credit for taking a step back taking a step out of the system and pulling up his bootstraps and trying again on a lower budget yeah and a film a film must be pretty special for you to um, I'm guessing at this stage of your career uh, for you to look at once it's been made and go yeah I'm gonna back this 100% yeah yeah, yeah. I mean do and you I felt that on the visit yeah and do you have a preference like do you like to kind of steer a project from day one I don't care no I mean one of the things I think that that I have a um big advantage over a lot of other producers is I'm never going to direct a movie I don't want to direct a movie I'd be a terrible director I'm not interested in directing a movie you know what I mean so so I don't it's not like I'm a frustrated like you know I feel like my my job is to find unusual cool interesting um, things and I help shape them and then help usher them out to the world. We did a lot of work on the visit after I saw the movie, but um, you know we had the same relationship to the visit that we had to the first Paranormal Activity or Unfriended. Yeah, I mean it's easier. It's yeah. easier to start when the movies. Then <laughs> you at least have a rough cut of the movie. It's yeah, not sure. But I don't have a preference. I don't. I don't. I, I feel just as much of an emotional connection to the visit or Unfriended as I do to Sinister or Insidious. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel just as much. Yeah. And in terms of glass, yes. I mean, do, do, do does he, does has Knight shared with you? Yes, not to show you guys. You have to go to Philadelphia, you know, read it in a, with a with a handcuff, like, <laughs> yeah. something like this. But uh, but I'm excited. To, I think I'll do that next month. I can't wait to read it. And, um, he's talked to me a little bit about it, but very little. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. Yeah. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, are you are you just, you just love films? I guess like I like movies. you. I love the... movies and TV. I love I love I love watching. I love, and I love document. I love, I love, I mean, it's just not like, even that's not really, I love stories. I love books. I love reading. I love stories, whether they're true or fiction, whether they're books or movies or TV series. I really, really am passionate about storytelling. I really feel like, you know, it, it, it gives relevance to the human experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the right job. Doing the right job. <laughs> and, and just to cap, what, what would you like, what legacy would you like your films to continue going into uh, producing? What was your ambition? What was your aim? Uh, I'm too young to answer that question. Ask me in 10 years. (laughs) See you in 10 years. All right, good. Thank Thank you. you.